This is Joshua Mack from Cornerstone Bible Church, and we're talking about marriage. God has big plans for marriage. Uh, God's design for marriage is for it to be something that is awesome, something that is beautiful, something that is amazing. But unfortunately, uh, we all know that in everyday life, many marriages are not nearly as beautiful as God's original design. Instead of being something that is a blessing for many people marriage almost feels more like a, a curse paul tripp begins his book on marriage what did you expect i didn't expect this he writes i just didn't think it would be like this mary said she looked completely exhausted and defeated her husband sam looked angry he didn't want to be with a counselor talking about his marriage to mary in fact if the truth be told he didn't want to be married to mary he'd had it 15 years, 15 years, and this is what I get. Mary refused to answer. She just sat there and sobbed. And uh, unfortunately, she's not the only one crying. If you have been in the church for very long, you know the reality is that how marriages are doesn't always match the picture of how they're supposed to be. And it would be nice if we could just look at the passages on marriage and family in the Bible and uh, read them and then go out and do them and our marriages would be absolutely incredible. But we know there are a lot more passages in the Bible than just the ones on family. And those passages help us understand why marriage can be so difficult. I remember when I was a a, a young pastor, it could be discouraging, the reality, all the problems you encounter in families. But at the same time, knowing the Bible, it really shouldn't be surprising. It shouldn't be surprising that even Christian marriages need help uh, because we're not living in the Garden of Eden anymore. This is a fallen world. And obviously, for a lot of people, the reality of the fallen world is frustrating, I, I would think. For all of us, it is frustrating. And those frustrations can produce some real difficulties in marriage. Your wife gets sick. That creates complications. Imagine a man whose wife has chronic pain where there's not a day that goes by where she's not hurting. That's going to make her life hard, of course, but it's also potentially going to make his life hard as well. People are racist. You can imagine a couple who adopted a child of a different race. And when those children go to school, they get made fun of for having parents that are of a different race. We're living in a world that doesn't always work the way that it was intended to work. It is a fallen world. And the fallenness of the world in which we live makes marriage hard. And yet, You know, while we grieve that, we need to remember that it's not an accident either. God uses the brokenness of this world in order to help us grow more and more into the image of Christ. In James 1, he talks about trials as tests of faith. First Peter describes trials in a similar way. He talks about them as as tests that God uses to purify our faith. 
Paul Tripp, he writes about this. He says, with this word tested, God tells you one of the most significant things you'll ever understand about marriage in the here and now. God decided to leave you in this fallen world to live, love, and work because he intended to use the difficulties you face to do something in you that couldn't be done any other way. I like how he puts it. He says, most of us have a personal happiness paradigm. Now, it's not wrong to want to be happy, and it's not wrong to want to work towards marital happiness. God's given you the capacity for enjoyment and place wonderful things around you to enjoy. The problem is not that this is a wrong goal, but that it's way too small a goal. God is working on something deep, necessary, and eternal. If he was not working on this, he would not be faithful to his promises to you. God has a personal holiness paradigm. God is working through your daily circumstances to change you. God is using the difficulties of the here and now to transform you, to rescue you from you. And because he loves you, he willingly interrupts or compromises your momentary happiness in order to accomplish one more step in the process of rescue and transformation, which he is unshakably committed to. This is one of those big shifts that we have to make in the way we look at what's happening in our marriages and families. Because once we start understanding that God is at work using the brokenness of this world, then those troubles have a purpose. We lament the troubles. We grieve over the troubles. But recognizing that the troubles have a purpose enables us to start responding to them better. And when we respond to troubles better that makes us easier to live with and that usually results in a a better marriage a second reason we have problems though is not just because we're living in a fallen world Uh, we are broken people we we are sinners and so whenever two people get married it's always a sinner marrying another sinner one of my favorite books on marriage is when sinners say i do and that was true before we were saved of course we were sinners but it's also not just unbelievers who are sinners. We're Christians, and so we have a new nature, we have new desires, but we still have hearts that are easily deceived. We still have foolishness in us. We still want a lot of the wrong things. We still don't know as much as we should. We still have old habits that we need to put off. So when two believers marry, those are two sinners marrying. I heard someone uh, preach a, a sermon once at a wedding, and he titled it, Waking Up Next to the Chief of Sinners. And he said to the couple, tomorrow you're going to wake up next to the chief of sinners. And you are a chief of sinners as well. And so we have to take seriously the reality of indwelling sin. It's kind of like living life here. It's kind of like you can imagine uh, sitting down to write a letter and you want to write that letter as nicely as possible and make it as beautiful as possible. But as you're writing, you have someone at your elbow who keeps pushing your elbow. That's what indwelling sin does as we seek to have godly marriages, only it's not at our elbow, it's in our hearts. One of the reasons we sometimes get into trouble in our marriages and people get into trouble is because even though we know all these things about what the Bible teaches about sin, we don't always believe them about ourselves. And so we're a little self-righteous. And so when our spouse sins, it's like we're shocked. And sometimes we overreact instead of thinking, oh, my, my, my spouse is sinning, how can I help them? We think, how could they do that? I would never do that. And so as Paul Tripps puts it, he, he says, we often turn moments of ministry into moments of anger. Here's this moment where God is revealing where your spouse needs to change and you are there 
as his instrument to help them change, but you're getting angry instead. A third reason we have problems is because we're involved in a spiritual world. It's a broken world. We are uh, broken people, sinful people, and we're involved in a spiritual war. And this war is intense because Satan is attacking God and all that God stands for. And one of the things God stands for, clearly Genesis 1 and 2, is marriage. And so he's always going after marriage and he's always going after the family. And so it's not really surprising we have troubles in our marriages. What is surprising uh, is that in spite of how obviously difficult marriage and family can be, and in spite of the fact that many people are really struggling, those same people are often really reluctant to acknowledge they need help. It can be so hard just to ask for help. Why? Why do you think it can be so hard? I mean, it's it's obvious. <laughs> it's a hard world. We're not perfect people. There's an enemy who hates us. It should, it should be obvious to everyone that there are going to be times in our life where we really need help, significant help. But yet it seems like it can be so hard to get anyone to acknowledge that they actually are having trouble. Why? Why? One possible reason, of course, is a fear of man. The fear of man brings a snare, a trap. And some people don't seek counsel because they are afraid of exposing themselves. They're afraid of what other people are going to think of them. Another way to say it, pride. They think that seeking help from other people is a sign of weakness. They think that they can solve their own problems. I know as much as they know, so why should I go to them for help? Or I've read more books. I've taken more courses. I'm older than them. I don't want them to think that uh, maybe I don't have it all together. Sad, but sometimes getting older actually makes it harder to ask for help. You should, by the time you get older, you should be more humble, but sometimes we're more proud and we haven't learned the things that we were supposed to learn. And yet uh, we're so ashamed of that, that we don't ask for the help that we need. Sometimes people don't ask for help because they minimize the seriousness of their problems. They, they've actually deceived themselves. And so they think uh, their situation isn't really that bad. What's the big deal? Everybody has problems. Nobody has a good marriage. This is sort of the cynical view. Some people think that talking about their problems will make them worse. Or I've tried before. I, I've tried to put myself out there. Why bother? Some people are unaware of the fact that help is possible, that change is possible. They don't want to bother people with their problems, which uh, is pretty common for people to say, but really sad. You know, God made us a family, so you, you having problems or me having problems shouldn't be a bother. It should be what family does. We, we love each other. Sometimes people don't ask for help because they think their situation's too far gone. There's no hope. Or they're afraid someone might hear about it and gossip about them. It's funny how afraid we can be of gossip. Uh, it seems like uh, we should be more afraid of doing the wrong thing, dishonoring God and doing damage to our marriages. But sometimes we're more afraid of gossip, what people we don't know say about us, than actually helping the people we, we do know. They uh, think that only really strange people need help. Only weak people need help. They don't understand the nature of progressive sanctification, that uh, 
that it's it's normal for God to use people in our lives at points to help us continue to grow. Whatever the reason that people don't ask for help to get help, we need to push past those reasons and actually ask for it. We need churches where it is normal for people to ask for help. How do you think we develop that kind of church? I think we have to pray, Lord, please help us to hate sin more than we do being embarrassed. Lord, help us to love our families more than we love ourselves and our uh, maybe our reputation. Uh, another way uh, we can develop a church where people ask for help, we need to pray, God, please, please change us. Help us to understand your grace and for it to create a new community where we actually ask each other for help and love to help one another. But an- another way would be just to share how God has used other people's instruction in our lives with others. If you've been helped, you can help others get help by talking about ways in which you've been helped. If you have received counsel and you didn't know what to do, you might be embarrassed to share that with someone else, but share it because people can see you needing help and God can use that as a means for them to get the help, to be motivated to get the help that they need. As leaders, we need to be leaders who recognize that it can be hard to ask for help and not mock people for not asking for help, uh, not uh, belittle them when they do ask for help, not not, uh, act in a a harsh way uh, when they come to us for help, but work hard. We need to work hard as leaders at letting people know we are available, we are uh, there for them. This is, this is our joy, really, to be involved. It's a privilege to be involved in someone else's life. We don't always, of course, know what to do or what to say, but what a privilege to be an instrument in God's hand in any way. None of us deserve this. Another uh, way to develop churches where people ask for help is to be people who actually offer real help and who know what we're talking about when we uh, talk about marriage and family and who are honest when we when we don't we uh, want to say loudly and clearly if you're having struggles in your marriage, it doesn't shock us. We know we're living in a broken world. We know we're sinners. We actually know you're a sinner and you know I'm a sinner. And we know there is a Satan. And so it's always good to ask for help. It's always good to ask for help. When though is it especially urgent? How how do you how do you know you need more than just a a sit down at the end of a church service and you need actual counseling? My dad has uh, written a couple of symptoms that a, a couple can look at in their relationship with one another to help them evaluate 
whether or not they should come in for a more formal kind of counseling. Let me give you 17 real quickly. <laughs> if you know my dad, that's how he works. But if they cannot resolve their problems after they've carefully and prayerfully tried to resolve them on their own, that's one sign. If they're constantly bickering and fighting, second sign. If they're frequently finding fault with one another. When something the mate does or some feature of the mate is a constant source of irritation. When one or both of the persons in the marriage have developed a romantic, emotional, or sexual relationship with someone other than the mate. When one spouse is constantly discouraged or depressed. When their communication system breaks down and they're constantly miscommunicating. When they're not enjoying... Uh, the other person's company on a regular basis, when the children are grossly undisciplined, when one or both of the partners are indifferent to the other person's demonstrations of affections, that's a sign, number 10, when they frequently use the opinion of a third person to settle their differences, when one or both of the partners must have the last word and must be the one who ends up being right whenever there's a disagreement, when one or both of the partners use nagging to get the other person to do something, when one or both of the partners are dissatisfied with the sexual area of their marriage, when they live largely separate lives, when they spend little or no time together, when they have very few common interests, when they're unable to discuss certain things without one person becoming very, very upset, when they're unwilling to discuss certain issues with the other person. Those are 17 signs that might help you evaluate whether or not you need to come in and say, help, help. And if you do, I want you to know that I understand that it is attempting to think of counseling as something, needing counseling as something that's really unusual. But the reality is needing counseling is pretty normal. Even before the fall, humans needed counsel. And then after the fall, big time. And of course, even after being saved, God expects we need help from other believers. And so uh, we always need that help, but there are times when we especially need that help. We especially need that help and we need uh, longer, uh, we need m to give more information and, and have a longer extended discussions about what to do because the problem is so complicated. I think it's sad how in the church, people often work so hard to pretend like they don't have problems. I always think, imagine going to a doctor and trying to pretend like you're not sick. You're, you're like coughing everywhere. You've got the flu. You feel like you're going to die. But you do all this work to not cough while you're with the doctor. And then you put ice on your head before you go in so he doesn't think you have a fever. And when he says, okay, I guess you're not sick, you come out and you're like, yeah, I did it. I fooled him. No, hopefully no one is like that physically, but we can be like that spiritually. And it's foolish. It's it's not just wrong, it, it's, it's foolish. And so hopefully in our churches and in our church here at Cornerstone, we'll, we'll start to see that, that needing help is normal and that we'll have a culture of grace that we recognize, you know what? We all need help. If we've been Christians for one year, if we've been Christians for 30 years, either way, we're going to need help. And sometimes we're going to need a lot of it. And we're definitely not going to get that help as easily as God wants us to get it. 
if we're not willing to ask for it. So if you need help, ask. And if right now you don't need that kind of specific, extended counseling type of help, you need other kinds of help, I'm sure. But if you don't need that specific, extended counseling kind of help, don't be so surprised if there does come a time in your life when you do. And in the meantime, seek to study as much as you can so that you can be of help, of real help to others when they need it as well.